Well, hello and happy new year. This is the first episode of the Rainmaker Evolution podcast for the new year 2016. And the way I thought we'd kick out the new year here is to start interviewing um, some of the most successful advisors out there that were in the Rainmaker group and get some feedback from them on the exciting things that are going on in their businesses right now, maybe some keys into their thinking, um, keys into their strategies, uh, because everybody in that group, um, especially the folks that are going into Rainmaker Elite next year, you know, have been handpicked as as extremely successful people that have a lot of integrity and and so on. So um, buckle up. You might want to take some notes on this podcast. By the way, a little note about the podcast. Um, we kind of analyze where you folks are listening to this podcast. And a lot of you are listening on your um, mobile devices or desktops, but not subscribing to the podcast. You can actually subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. So it automatically downloads into um, your phone when it goes up on iTunes. So if you have a Apple device, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It's a little easier um, than trying to access it from your desktop. With that said, uh, I want to introduce a real special guest today uh, who is Stephanie Fullerton, who hails from the Phoenix area. Um, just to give you an idea, because I know sometimes we wonder about how big is someone's market and so on. Phoenix is uh, a very big city, as you all know, and uh, it is actually the number 14 radio market right up there with Seattle, Detroit, Minneapolis, San Diego. So big market, tons of competition. Um, I would argue probably more competition as far as advisors doing seminars and radio and things like that than my market here in Connecticut. And so maybe it's a more challenging market. Maybe not. There's more money, but I, I always like to put that into context. And Stephanie uh, has done an awesome job in just doing a ton of business and helping a lot of people uh, in the greater Phoenix area. So, um, Stephanie, I want to start out with the question of asking, who is Stephanie Fullerton? Who are you? What are you all about? Stephanie Fullerton. Wow. You know, probably, Joe, you should have asked Steve that question. Um, who is Stephanie Fullerton? Well, I tell you, I am um, going into my 12th year of um, being the um, founder of Fullerton Financial. Steve joined me uh, eight years ago, in fact, and works alongside me. But, Joe, really my top priorities um, would become my faith, my family, and then my business. So I've built my business on those principles, that my faith is the most important thing, that my family comes next, and then my business comes third. And as long as I keep those priorities in place, Joe, it just keeps happening, and um, it, my business just keeps growing. That's great. That's uh, I, I love that we started with that. Uh, give me your background. So you've only been in the business for 12 years, and you're at really the top echelon. You know, it, it, I don't like to measure us against other people, but, um, you know, you're really one of the tops if we if we measure – um, the amount of assets you're bringing in and so on. What were you doing before getting into the business? Because I did not realize you'd only been in the business for 12 years. Well, Joe, so I um, stayed home for 15 years um, being a full-time mom. I, I had the privilege to not have to work. Steve at that time was working for the Phoenix Police Department, and so we were able to you know, make some sacrifices, and my main priority was to stay home and raise my babies and take them everywhere they needed to go and do homework and have meals on the table. So about 12 years ago is when Steve and I decided that our baby was um, going, uh, getting ready to go into junior high. And uh, we, you know, wanted, you know, sat down and had that conversation of what does life look like for me as my babies were getting older and more independent. And so 
um, I don't want to say fluke because I don't think anything's a fluke, but my direction became looking into this area of working with retirees. I had a very good friend that was in the industry that introduced me to it. And a long story short, that's how it began was just I happened to fall into um, helping retirees. And so go back five years from, from now and tell me what your business looked like back then and then let's compare it to today as far as, well, however you want to measure it. It doesn't have to be production, but it could be staffing or your mindset or, you know, let's get a comparison between where you are today and, and maybe five years ago. That's a great question. I tell you, Joe, one of the things that um, blew my mind is when you did that exercise with us of um, what do you want to be in 10 years, you know, double double your production. And I thought, oh, my goodness, there's no way. And then Steve and I began talking about just five years ago what we look like. So here's what we look like. Five years ago we were in a, um, a very um, small office leasing. It um, had one, two, three actual offices so one was a conference room one was um that i worked out of office and then another one we had three people in it so we were a total staff of five and at the time i think i had written seven million dollars in annuities and um we were not active at that time with pulling in aum Steve had just gotten licensed with his Series 7 in 66, and we were with a a big broker-dealer and trying to figure out what that looked like. So really, I was an annuity-only company. And then contrast that to where you are today. Uh, So you gave us kind of what your office space looked like and how many folks were on the team and uh, production and so on, And, and obviously, you're doing a lot of AUM now, too. Yeah, so... Um, five years later, it absolutely blows my mind. By the way, I would say five years ago, our clientele maybe had hit 350 people. Today, I have over 1,000 clients that, as a team, we have built. We um, own our building. It's a 4,000-square-foot building. It um, uh, 13 employees. We ended our year at 31 um, million in production, or 31 million issued in AUM, or not AUM, um, in annuities, and just about 12.9 in AUM. Wow. Yeah, crazy. So 12.9, let's call it 13. So that's that's 44 million of total assets brought in compared to seven, five years ago. That's what, six times. That's that's amazing. I, I love the part that you own your building in, in 4,000 square feet. Um, <laughs> that's got to that's feel a lot. Do you occupy that whole 4,000 square feet? Yes. Our biggest issue right now is that we feel like by the end of the year, we will have outgrown it. So you've gone from uh, uh, three people in one office and you having, and I can picture this because I've I've been there where you know, you have to be quiet in the conference room talking to clients or the other people have to be quiet because the clients in the meetings can hear what's going on in the other offices and so on. And here you are with your own building. That's that's really exciting. Was it scary buying your building? This is a conversation a lot of advisors ask me about. So we'll, we'll detour a little bit here because, you know, I got some advice from a real estate developer client, very wealthy. When I was, when I was doing estate planning and using life insurance for 
funding of state taxes and, and to people that were very liquid that had built apartment complexes all around the Connecticut area and so on. And, and this, uh, this guy that was in the real estate business told me once, because I was asking him, you know, I'm thinking about buying a building. What should I look for? And so on. He said, Joel, be very careful because once you do that, you're in a second business. And he kind of talked me out of it. And, and I'm sort of glad he did because I'm always – I'm kind of one of these guys that lives below his means because I'm always ready for things to change and and I like a lot of liquidity. But but um, I don't know if that's the right decision for everybody. It's probably not the right decision for everybody. So was it scary buying the building? And, and I assume you took on a mortgage and you weren't quite sure if it was the right thing to do and so on. Talk talk to me about what was going on and the conversations that you and Steve had about that. Sure. At that point, when we started um, talking about the business, Phoenix had had a huge real estate drop. And um, we were at the bottom, but it was starting to turn around and come back up. And we both knew that we were going to have to move because at that point, we were still in. Well, at that point, we had made our one, two, our fourth move to a bigger building. So we were at our fourth move, and we're like, okay, we do not fit. I mean, as I said, we, when we began to build our building, we at that point had five people in one big, one big um, office room. So we just were on top of each other, not to mention where I was and Steve was and then our receptionist. So um, our big thing was we were in a lease that our landlord was not going to let us out, and we were looking how much money we had spent in leasing versus we could have taken that same money and have been purchasing. And so it was um, a huge jump and very fearful because as of right now, I am the only writer. So that's a lot of pressure when you consider that now not only are you paying payroll, and, and I don't have to tell the folks listening, all the expenses that come with running the business. So it was a huge jump because we still currently, Joe, are paying on our lease from our old building. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. We'll be done in October. So that's a huge thing for us. But um, it, we took an SBA loan out, and we qualified. Very easily we qualified, and we took a it, you know, SBA will only go 10 years, so we took a 10 years out, and um, it you know, we doubled our payment. What, it, we, basically what we were paying for our lease building is what we end up paying here just a little bit more. So come October, we're gonna, that's going to be a nice relief. However, knowing me, I'll find the money to put somewhere in marketing. But um, it, it was scary. And I guess, Joel, for me, not to try to over-spiritualize our conversation, but for me that just was based on my own faith that I really had to trust that as I stepped out, that my knees were going to be taken care of. And I can tell you, it's crazy, Joel, and I think you'll agree with me, that when we went, every time we made a move and upgraded our office space, our business grew. Mm, and when yes, we, we've seen that. Oh, it, it, when we moved into this, business, this spot here a year and a half ago, and I hired an interior decorator, and I did everything, um, I, I wanted to create that Disney feel, like, you know, we've mm -hmm. learned so much through the journeys. I wanted it, when people came in, I wanted them to be wowed. And, um, again, another incredible surge that we've seen in our business. Uh, people have told me, actual people, when they walk in the door and sit down with me, they already said, we know we want to work with you because you look like a real business. 
Yeah, that's that's great, and that's something I that's a challenge for me because we're going through. You know, we've we're outgrowing our office space, um, and uh, we're in a really nice Class A building. And you know, it's it's do I want to rent? Do I want to buy? And uh, so it's good. I'm glad we talked through that. And you know, this is one of the things that it's important as we transition from salespeople, from commission salespeople, to true business owners that we look at all these things. We've got to look at where is the money going and how are we building up equity that is not completely dependent on us writing the next piece of business. And here's a way where you're building some equity, just like we should be saving money in 401ks and other type of, of advantage things that as a business owner we can take part in. Um, we should be looking at where is that money going. And rent for us is huge. I mean, we're spending 150 grand a year on rent between the different offices. I just totaled that up the other day because I'm, I'm looking at a lease running out in a year and a half. So, so good. So that's, that's good conversation for us to have. And especially for um, those of you that are listening to this podcast, um, these are items that we don't want to take lightly. Not everybody should own their own building. But at the same time, these are issues that as a business owner that has a tremendous amount of cash flow, um, coming through your checkbook, we've got to look at where is that cash flow going and how can I divert some of it to build up equity in other places other than my business. So great, uh, great conversation. So tell me what you think going back, and you already said, you know, taking leaps and, and sort of updating where you do business as far as office space, but what would be the other main factors contributing to your growth and success, Stephanie? Process. And I know we hear that all the time, and we hear other advisors talking about it, but one of the biggest things that took me from a salesperson to a true, per, a true planner sitting in front of somebody is taking them and going through the process, taking the time, not being so anxious to close it on the first or the second appointment. And that was huge for me, Joe, because I was a, like a, a first appointment closer. You know, if I saw it out there, man, I went after it, and you know, maybe 60% of the time I could close it on the first appointment, but I learned to take my time and to be patient. And even now when I'm sitting down with people and they want to sign on the first appointment, it's hard to say no. It's hard to push that back over the table and say, I'm not ready to take you on as a client. But as I have learned to, um, perfect my process and I'm always learning and I'm always perfecting it. I'm always trying new and things that I learn, you know, whether it's from the rainmaker or a journey. Um, it was all about taking the time and listening and really doing a thorough job of when they come back on that second and third appointment to presenting a concept and a plan and not just let me take your money and I'll see you in a year. So for me, I think one of the biggest attributes that I could say that helped me go from, you know, the seven million to the twenty million to the thirty million is really about the process and taking the time and using the right tools and being equipped, um, you know, being aligned with the right mentors. My goodness, you guys, um, Joel, yourself, and you know, I can go down the list. Having the right mentors in my life has done incredible for my business. I was just listening to a podcast, and I wish I could remember who it was the other day, but um, they were talking about why people buy and what they think they buy. And, 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 and part of the maturation of us as business owners in financial services is really understanding what our customers buy. And, oh, I know what it was. It was, uh, and I actually did this exercise called the Vivid Vision, and we're going to share that in the Rainmaker Elite Group and how you can take that 
um, take your, your employees through that. And the last page, I, ate, I added this last page, which was what is our ideal product? And none of it has to do with a mutual fund or a managed account or an annuity or an alternative investment. None of it has to do with that being our product. It has to do with the feeling our clients get, the fact that, like you said, they feel like they've gone through a process, that they have a plan, that there's a relationship. That's what people want and, and, that, and that there's a concept behind it. And if we can sell that way, and I don't even like the word sell in this context, but if, if people feel like that's why they do business with us, they're not going to leave us for a robo-advisor or for somebody that can sent, you know, save them 50 basis points on their managed money because they didn't buy the managed money. They bought the relationship. They bought the process. They bought the feeling like somebody's got my back. And, and that, that's so huge. And, you know, I see this. You know, the Rainmaker first year group that we just finished, I mean, there was a whole variety of producers in there at, at many, many different levels. And some of the folks that struggled with some of the concepts that we talked about and went through were the guys that are still, guys and, and women, um, that were still selling product. And we all know we're not supposed to do that, but we really need to tell ourselves the truth, I think, as business owners about what we sell and what our clients think they're buying because if those clients only think they're buying an annuity then you're just you've turned yourself into walmart people are just going to shop price and convenience and yeah, pretty soon they're going to get it online if they yeah. think if they go to steve and stephanie's office and they have an experience and that you're somebody that's on their team then they're not going to leave you for anything you really have to mess up before they leave you yeah i'm going to share a story so joe I had a, um, a couple come into my office. They had heard me on the radio. They had um, looked at my website. They had checked out who we are. They had gone to Better Business Bureau. They had even received one of my workshop mailers, but they hadn't attended a workshop. And so when they came in the door, what actually was the wife that came first, and we sat down the first visit, and I gathered all the information. And when they came back for the second appointment, um, and actually, she was the only one that came back for the second appointment. I presented the plan, and she says, okay, I'm going to go home and discuss this with my husband. And I hate that. That's why I always, like, encourage the husband to come. But um, went home, and the husband came back for the third time. And when he sat down, and I went through, you know, the information with him, he stopped me. He says, I, I need to tell you something. He says, my wife told me she heard you on the radio she showed me your website she came to your office she came home and was all excited came back with this plan that you presented to her but I have to tell you I was pretty skeptical because I've been with my broker for over 20 years because I wasn't looking to move my broker my wife was and um, he says so what I told my wife he says I want to go in and I will make my decision when I walk through their doors and he says, when I walked through your doors and I looked around and, you know, we've all been taught, whether we do it or not, but we've all been taught how to properly place different things in different spots to create emotion. And he said, when I walked in and I began looking around, I knew before you even began that I was ready to leave my broker. So, it, and, and Joe, in that plan... This is, and I don't know if you can say this is a good thing, Stephanie, or maybe you're telling me, Stephanie, you shouldn't do that. But many times, they I haven't even mentioned the word annuity until we sit down and begin to pull out the paperwork because I've presented an income strategy to them. 
and I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you think about how the wealthy buy financial services, you know, and they go to wherever they go, whether it's the high-end trust company and so on, you know, my belief is they're buying the person, maybe they're buying a process, but there's never a discussion whether, you know, in the portfolio they're going to have Apple stock or a private equity fund or anything like that. They're really just, they're buying the concept and the and everything you talked about. And that's how we do it. I mean, we, you know, we go through the paperwork. Obviously, we do full disclosure with the annuities and so on, but the annuity is just positioned as somewhere where we've got some safety, some downside protection. And when appropriate, we put the income rider on there. And, and that's just the annuities part of the whole picture. And, and that's so key as we move up the level of production, whether you want to do business with middle class people or upper middle class people like we do, or whether you want to do business with the wealthy, they're going to buy that process. That's, I'm so glad you brought that up. T- tell me about, um, you, you said you had 13 employees now. How are they divided up? Do you have like departments and do you manage everybody, Stephanie, or do you have team leaders or how, how are you set up as far as that goes? Well, the best thing that I did um, two years ago is I um, hired a office manager. That way um, it stopped people coming to my door and um, taking and sucking the energy out of me with whining and complaining and asking for this and that. So that was huge for me and Steve. Um, So I have um, two two receptionists that handle all the front, so they're the client experience when they walk in. And I've taken a lot of time to really train them on how to get out of their seat, how to walk around the desk, shake their hand, embrace them so they feel welcome. Then I have a full-time marketer um, that does all of the um, marketing uh, workshops, scheduling. She also is my scheduler. And fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know how we would say it, I am because of our continuing growth, I'm having to have to now um, divide that because I've learned, and, and Joe, I think you do the same thing now. I've learned that that scheduler is really almost a full time position. <laughs> that um, so I'm kind of we're redefining that right now, even as we talk. So I she does that. I have an assistant for me. Steve has an assistant to help him with the AUM side because he does um, all of the back um, back room or back office continue relationship with the client and with our um, broker that we work through and then I have um, I I use a college intern and that's a rotating position my intern is getting ready to leave because he graduated and he's moving into um, a career so I pull in a um, from our college here from their business I will hire an intern at minimum wage and they come in um, we work around their hours for college and they just, it's incredible to bring that young blood in here because they know how to do everything. They know how to do Excel spreadsheets. They, I mean, you can give them and task them with things that you need done immediately, and they just get it done. So I've had a really good experience with that. And then I have three full-time servicers that handle um, scrubbing, applications, you know, all of the um, customer client um, needs. So let me make sure I've got this. So of the 13 people, you're in, are you including you and Steve in the 13? Yes. Okay. Yes. So of the 13 people, you've got three new business and customer service people, for, for lack of however you want to call that. But So they're handling all the new business. 
dealing with the companies, dealing with the transfers when you're not offloading that to AE, and and handling incoming customer service inquiries and service issues to shield you from being involved in that. Is that fair to say? That is correct. How many people do marketing for you? How many people handle setting up event? Do you do? Are, you're doing seminars and radio, correct? Yes, I do four um, to five workshops a month. Okay. And then we do radio, and um, so and, and then we're uh, 2016. My goal is I want to begin um, looking at TV and how that fits into our company. Um, but I also just do, um, just hired just this week a marketing company to help me with the marketing sign so kind of um they would they're going to be taking care of all of my i guess call it pre-game before workshops oh wow and okay so they're going to be helping me with all of the marketing so i'm pushing all of that printing and they'll be working um with rme for me and the only thing that we have to really um focus on is having the seminar scheduled. They take every they take care of everything up to the seminar. And then Interesting. I take it from the seminar on. Well, I'll look forward to an update of how how that's going because we're always trying to get more efficient during the seminar process. And so, will they also see the data from the seminars so they can make suggestions on tweaks and changes? Yeah, they actually are creating um, my invitations. They right now are doing a full um, facelift on my um, marketing pieces, and they understand the industry. They've worked with people in the industry, so it's not like I just went out and um, hired an ABC marketing company. They, they are familiar with the industry and have helped other advisors in the industry. So they've taken all of that off our marketer's desk, and that's, you know, I know, that's a huge piece right there. Oh, that's huge. And, and a lot of that is, is repetitive. So if you can outsource something that's repetitive and yet at the same time have somebody that's got a lot of experience and exposure to other areas of the country and other advisors, you're sort of tapping into a little inside knowledge there, right? Because they're, they're going to have the knowledge of what worked and what didn't, where we might not because all we live in is our own firm's world. So I'm really excited about that, and I'll look forward to hearing how that's going as we get together for our uh, elite groups this year. Maybe you can share with us how that's going and, and give some others that might be considering that uh, some advice on that. Absolutely. So tell me about uh, the, you know, if you had to go back, let, let's pretend that you had to go back 12 years to when you started in this business and you had to give that Stephanie Fullerton of 12 years ago some advice, what would that advice be? I think the best advice is um, to take one step at a time, to not bite off more than you can chew. I think the best thing that I did is um, I would go, I would listen, I would um, pick out maybe 10 nuggets, and I would go and implement those 10 nuggets. Not all of them would be successful. Let's just say five ended up being the ones that are successful. And I just did that every six months. I would do that. And um, before you know it, I'm moving into a new building. Before you know it, I'm moving into another new building. So, Joe, I remember that 12 years ago what it looked like and sitting in my first um, 
annuity university class and big writers were in there and, and at that time big writers were like maybe writing seven to eight million dollars in the industry mm-hmm. and I would be like I'll never be there and then I thought well why won't I be there why why like limit myself and I at that point I realized it I don't I don't want to be overwhelmed with their success but I want to learn from their success and so I just took a couple things out of what they would tell me and I would implement them and before I knew it, I was growing because there's no way, Joel, that anybody that is starting out or maybe find themselves in a two- or three-person office can go from where that overnight to where I am. But I can encourage them and say, if you take it and take one piece at a time and be diligent and, yeah, hook yourself to a great mentor because you can only go as high as your mentor. So if you're listening to someone that's only writing $5 million, most likely you're only going to write $5 million. But if you will attach yourself to someone that is writing the 50 for me now, I'm trying to say, okay, I want to look at those people that are writing 50 and $60 million a year in annuities because I want to know what is it that you're doing because I want to get to that 50 or $60 million. There, there were some awesome nuggets of, of wisdom in there. You know, I loved what you said about – not trying to do everything at once, but taking 10 ideas and implementing them and then keeping the five that worked and throwing out the five that don't and then keep doing that every six months. So, you know, the first thing you said was take one step at a time. It's okay to grow one step at a time. And I think that's great. But the the other thing that you said that I think is so critical, and I've had a hard time processing this because I think you and I, you just confirmed that you and I think alike as for, as far as this goes is there are, there are people out there that don't want to go to a class or a small group with too big of a producer and because they think I won't be able to relate to anything that person's doing. And so they settle or they don't even join a small group. They'll go and you know, hang out with their buddy that works for Wells Fargo Advisors that's sort of you know, right there at that $100,000 income level because it feels better. And I just think I can't relate to that. I mean, the way I've grown in this business, and I've shared this in the small groups, is that, you know, I suffer from time to time with really low self-confidence. I mean, I wake up some mornings and go, this is a fluke. You know, this is just all going to end tomorrow because something just sort of happened that wasn't supposed to happen because I don't know how this worked out. And me getting around people, you know, I remember specifically sitting at a little conference in Florida with a guy that was doing 80 million of annuities. And I remember looking at him across the dinner table. He was just a really humble, quiet person. Um, I had to draw out of him what his production was because he was the only one that wasn't bragging at the table. And, And I remember looking at him going, I like this guy. He seems honest. He seems down to earth. If he can do 80, maybe I can do 40. And it's just been huge in my career to be able to just be around. So I'm really glad you you brought that up because you're right. Some people will go and hear somebody talk and they'll say, that's impossible for me. I'm going to settle. And I've found the exact opposite. You know, I can see somebody and go, if I can just do half of that, if I can just get two or three ideas from this person of how they think or what they say to their staff or just anything – then I can move up the, the, the ladder. So I'm glad you brought that up. Anything else you want to say about that, that as well, far as the advice you would give? Yeah, so I, I connect very quickly when you said there's times that you wake up in the morning and you're like, this is a fluke, it's going to all change. 
Joe, I do the same thing. I, there's times I wake up and I'm like, I, I, we, I, I don't even realize what I write. So when someone says, do you know that you're a big producer? And I'm like, really, I am? Because <laughs> I just get up and I just go to work every day. I put in the time. I'm diligent. And I go to sleep. I get back up and I do the same thing. So there's times that I wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, what if it stops? But here's what I can say. If as long as you're getting up every day and going back at it and shooting at it and just keep shooting at it, it's going to work. It's those people that get up and think about it and go play golf. And I'm not saying that because you travel a lot now, Joel, and you have a lot of fun. So one day I want to be Joel Johnson (laughs) where I could take the whole month of August off. But Joel Johnson had to get up every morning. He had to go to work. He had to put in the time. And he kept doing that day in and day out, even when you think, how am I doing this? And I think that's the key. Because you can put the smartest person against me, but if they're not willing to work hard, I'm going to blow them out of the water. Yeah, and I'm reading this book called Mindset right now, which is kind of popular amongst, I don't know, Bill's business circles or self-improvement circles. And you know, it was a real slow start for me. You know, I kind of I read these books written by PhDs, and you know, after the first paragraph, you kind of know what the rest of the book's going to be about. But she's she's talking that the woman, uh, Dr. Carol Dweck, I think is her name, was talking about uh, the mindset of people that have a fixed mindset that things are just fixed in my way of life and so on, and that they glorify and society today glorifies people that things seem to come easy for. Um, that they just sort of get up, you know, they look like the beautiful people, they, they waltz through life effortlessly, and, and people that have that frame of reference think that it's supposed to be like that, and if it's hard work and it doesn't happen overnight, that something's wrong with them. On the other hand, when you look at the most successful people, um, most of them have had tremendous odds to overcome, and they also put in serious hours, and they didn't expect anything to happen overnight. They put themselves in positions where it was about survival, and then the next level was at survival, and the next level was about survival, and all of a sudden, they get to somewhere, and the rest of the world looks at them and goes, well, how did, how did that person build, you know, 400 apartment units, or how did they, you know, get to the top of owning their own firm, or, you know, how, how did this happen? And the, a lot of the world thinks, well, they ju- it just happened, but it doesn't just happen. It happens by doing the right thing every day, enough days that it just accumulates you know it's like darren hardy's compound effect yeah you know joe my biggest fuel um when i started the business is like i said i had a mentor that i went under and um i was doing workshops with do workshops with uh, another gentleman and he actually would get up after i would speak and because we shared it i would do half he would do half he would get up and he would correct me in front of the audience he would actually say what Stephanie meant to say is that this is, and, and I would be like, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, I would be, I mean, I would be so aggravated. But I just, you know, afterwards, I would just say, you know, I don't think you should do that. But if that's how you want to play the game, that's fine. And he said to me, he goes, "Well, I've got to overcompensate because you get up there, you're a female, and you're this or that, and they'll just say yes to you. You don't need to know anything. They'll just say yes." And at that moment, in my mind, I thought, "I'm going to show you, buddy." I'm going to show you that I am more than just what you think I am. And that was my biggest fuel for someone to tell me that I could only be successful because of a certain way I looked or a certain way that I carried myself, because that had nothing to do with it. 
And so I look back now at that gentleman who's still writing about $4 million a year. And, you know, I kind of want to call him up at times and say, oh, by the way, did you know? I would never do that because I'm not that way. But that was my biggest fuel for someone to think that it would come easy. I wanted to show them, no, I'm going to work hard. That's and, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's a great story. So one one last question here, Stephanie, is if we're if we're sitting here three years from today and we're looking back, and you know you know this question, uh, but if we're sitting here three years from today, so it's what it's January as we record this, it's January seventh of twenty nineteen, and we're looking back over the last three years, what would had to have happened for you and, and maybe even you and Steve? to be happy with your progress, whether it's personally or professionally? What, what, are we, what are we talking about that you feel good about three years from today? So my goals for three years today is this, that I will have at least three to five sub-advisors. So my goal this year alone is to bring on one, one, one advisor. So I'm, gonna, I'm in the process right now of trying to make that happen in the next 90 days. So Business-wise, that I, that I have at least three, um, because my five-year goal is to have five sub-advisors um, working, that I would only be doing the radio and the workshops to feed them leads. Three years from now, I will consider myself very successful if I have been faithful and not working Fridays. So I know that sounds silly, but I really want to be able to just work four days a week. And right now I work six days a week, about uh, eight to ten hours a day. That's awesome. So five, for a three-year goal, three additional advisors and continuing to not work or, or to not, work, not working on Friday. Looking back, you haven't worked yes. Fridays. I haven't worked Fridays. And, and that is uh, – and, and I love – you didn't give a production goal, which I love. I love that because, you know, the, as we both know and as so many people know, the production – and this is the other thing between, you know, when you're, when you're young and starting out and you look at production and you think it's all about production. And then as you grow in the business, it's not about production because we realize that if we just do the right thing each day, the production just happens. And so I love the fact that your goal isn't really a production goal. Obviously, you've got that in the back of your mind. But the goal is about how to, number one, you're going to build a business that's not totally dependent on you, which yours is today. And number two, you're going to create more free time. So you can work four days a week instead of six days a week, which is 33% less. So um, I love it. Stephanie, is there anything you want to say as we close here? Um, You've been so gracious, and I know you've helped a lot of people with some of the advice that you've given here today. Well, Joseph, thank you for the opportunity. I, I always love to be able to try to encourage people to be the best out there. And you know, at the end of the day, if we're just encouraging each other to be the best, then we are going to be the best. So I just wish everybody a happy New Year's, and I hope that all of us just have an incredible year of success. And um, I look forward to seeing everybody at the World Series of Sales. Great. Thanks, Stephanie.